Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm Rob Kent, and we're going to do things just a little bit different, starting with this episode 85. I can't believe that we are 85 episodes into this thing. Um, when I started, I think uh, if you go back and you listen to that first episode, it, it's clear that it we're I'm having a good time, but I, I I don't really know what I'm doing, and maybe maybe you still feel that way, uh, 85 episodes in. Uh, but my uh, approach to life uh, and most things has always been that you know the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And an imperfect something is better than a perfect nothing, so it was best just to get going. Uh, because we started doing those shows live, I would do that introduction and tell you about my books with my guest sitting right there staring at me. Um, which, when we were live, was a good spot to do that. And then the advantage of that is you know I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. You know you can download that ebook for free uh, whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold, all that good stuff. Uh, and I'm okay with that. It's a free show. Don't listen to me talk for sometimes two hours, depending on, on the particular conversation, and come away with that uh, and not know that I've got books available. Uh, what I'm not okay with is having the guest sit there. Um, I continued that practice. I'm a creature of habit, uh, and I like things to be as uniform as possible, uh, which is impossible uh, with a with an interview-based uh, podcast like this, uh, because every guest brings a little bit of something new to the show. Um, but I continued that practice even once we stopped recording these live. Um, and the flawed logic when something like, well, look at all the tremendous guests I've had on who have sat there patiently while I did this. Why should I make an exception going forward? Um, but recently I've decided that, well, that's just dumb. Um, there have been a, a couple of folks I, I talked to who just stared back at me and why why are you making me listen to your biography when we could just be chatting? Uh, and I agree. I think that's a better way to do it. So going forward, I'm not entirely sure how this introduction will work. I'm still going to tell you about books like The Book of David, Chapter 1, uh, by Robert Kent, about a, a, an atheist that purchases a, a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. I'm still going to mention that you can download The Book of David, Chapter 1, by Robert Kent, for free as an ebook, wherever fine ebooks are, are sold, all that good stuff. Um... But I'm going to try and keep it a little bit more brief and to the point and maybe tell you things about the show. So here for episode 85, what a wonderful episode this is. I'm talking with a literary agent, uh, Kiana Nguyen, and I think we just had a wonderful time. You're going to hear us have a very long, uh, spoilery discussion of The Last of Us Part 2. When we get to that, I'll let you know that we're about to talk spoilers so you can skip ahead if you haven't played it. Uh, we're talking, There's an uh, she shares an actual ghost story that happened to her. We talk about her time working uh, simultaneously as a park ranger and a literary agent. Uh, we talk about Girl Saves the World stories and why she's against them. Uh, we talk about avoiding uh, standard coming out stories. Uh, we talk about evaluating agents, their, their communication, their work style. We talk a bunch about quarantine and making plans for the future. We talk about the Donald Mass Literary Agent uh, Agency. We talk a lot about diversity of publishing. We talk about all kinds of great stuff. This is a long, robust conversation. Uh, one of my favorite, but I'd say that about the previous 84 conversations as well. I love this show. 
I can't buy every day. I feel like I, I every day I do the show. I feel like I won a contest somewhere that my prize is. I get to keep having these conversations. I hope you're enjoying them too. Uh, we'll continue to make changes as we go forward and uh, hopefully each one will add up to a better show. Uh, so without any further delay this week, here we go. Episode 85, uh, Kiana Nguyen. Uh, the first thing I do is I ask our guests to uh, give an overview of their background so you're not listening to me talk about you and getting half of it wrong, uh, how awful that would be. So please introduce yourself uh, to esteemed audience. Are you ready for a story, y'all? Settle down. We love um, stories. <laughs> so I actually got into agenting very unconventionally. Um, I was in college at the University of Albany for um, anthropology originally, but it's a very expensive um, study to get into if you want to go on to like digs and internships. So as I was going into my fourth year and all of my friends were wildly more successful than I was in their um, studious endeavors, I decided to drop out of college and just like live in New York City. Um, I'm from upstate New York and my dad's family's from Brooklyn. So it was a little bit more familiar to me. So I was, I'm going to live in, um, Queens for a while and just kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Um, at the time, I was really focused on my own writing as a writer. So I was just like, maybe I'll take the year to do that. Um, but I got really lucky. I had written um, a book that encouraged me to go onto Twitter and to follow my favorite authors and publishers. And I, by that way, Simon and Schuster was running a raffle on their Twitter page um, to win a chance to get killed as a character in this adult thriller novel. I didn't know who the writer was. I didn't know what the book series was, but I entered, I was like, that'd be cool. And I won. Um, and it was really great because I got like a really good friend and mentor from the author, Shane Kuhn. Um, the book that I ended up in is called Hostile Takeover. And his publicist um, really liked me from our email communications and gave me my first internship in publishing at her PR firm. So that's how I wow. found out that, yeah, that's how I found out that there were jobs in publishing other than being a writer, right? Because we don't really see all the behind the scenes stuff. Um, and then a year later, after serving an AmeriCorps term, um, again, just trying to like just live without too much pressure on like what to do, as you can only do <laughs> uh, when you're over like overly confident. <laughs> <laughs> about uh, your independence in life. Um, I started looking for internships in the industry again. Um, I tried out for some editorial positions. And um, luckily, I, at that time, I was really active on Twitter in the young adult publishing realm. And an agent at Donna Moss Literary Agency who was doing the interviews for interns um, knew me from Twitter. Um, so she knew a lot of my book tastes and a lot of the things that she felt like would um, coincide with her and the rest of the agents at Donna Moss Literary Agency. And she gave me my first internship and I've been with them since 2016. And then I started acquiring clients or looking for clients in the fall of 2017. Um, so that was around the second DV pit. Um, I think I'm pretty sure this, yeah, cause they had it once in 2016 and then once in 2017, um, or maybe twice, sorry. Um, and then in 2018, I signed my first clients. And since then, it's just been uphill from there. I hope that wasn't too confusing. No, that was fantastic. More, the more detailed, the better. We want to know how you <laughs> dressed for your first day at an internship at Donald Musk. There's oh my no God. detail too insignificant. <laughs> I probably, um, <laughs> my college sweater, sweatpants. <laughs> I, I will openly admit that my boss, Don, dresses way more fashionably than me, and I am very lucky to 
One again, why I also decided to uh, do my year. So my year that I was in New York City, I was um, a park ranger at the High Line, which is like this park that's built over um, an abandoned railroad in Manhattan. Um, and I was doing other part-time jobs like that. It's just like I very much feel <laughs> dread to the office environment. So I got really lucky that um, my agency is a little more on the casual end of the spectrum. Um, so I typically, just any place I could wear jeans and a sweater or a hoodie. Um, I love this unlikely journey from park ranger to literary agent via yeah. a, a contest. Everyone's and obviously if your Twitter was impressive, you had to be just a, a YA maniac yes. uh, reading and posting um, and everything else. I'm such a geek. I just want to talk about the things that I love and the things that I don't like. Um, in books, like recently, I've gotten, I've just gotten a PS4. So, I mean, I've always played games, but I've never myself owned a console. Um, especially Congratulations, since that I was left. huge. Yes. So, especially since I left home and stuff like that, and I've always like been moving like once a year. So I finally got one during COVID. I was like, I'm doing, what am I doing? I can't read anymore. Like that can, we can talk about that later. But um, yeah, so I got my first PS4 and I've just been gaming like mad and, um, you know, tweeting about it. So <laughs> that's- What's your favorite so far? My favorite, absolute, absolute favorite game. Uh, actually, my favorite series is The Last of Us. Um, and recently, The Last of Us 2 just came out in June, I believe. And it's just blows, it blows me away. Um, the type of narrative storytelling that you can get in, in, in this gameplay. And I guess it's maybe because I haven't been playing games for so long other than like The Sims on my PC. Um, but I just felt it's, um, this game made me cry and it made me laugh and it made me really think about like who I am as a person and the type of choices that I make when interacting with other people or trying to satisfy like real deep inner questions and stuff like that. it's just such a such an amazing game so <laughs> so you I'm assuming finished it and are getting ready to play it in new game plus mode or whatever yes how did you know uh, I finished <laughs> it probably um because of work I had to work uh it was like my my gift to myself at the end of a business day I think I finished it within like 72 hours oh wow it's probably still really quick um but uh <laughs> no I had to stay off uh, social media for a couple of weeks until I finally finished the thing yes so many so uh, uh it's just I so many things to talk about and they did something that is really unexpected I feel like for games or um, I don't. I guess it's too. It's probably still too soon for a spoiler. But I'm. I a lot of people were really upset um, at the narrative decisions in the game. But I think that's kind of what makes it interesting. Um, well, and- I would uh, posit that here we are. It's uh, August thirteenth that we're recording this. I would say that the real fans have already played it and are <laughs> eager to hear your take on it. And folks that are just casual and not really interested in playing it don't care about the spoilers. So I tell you what, uh, for the next three to five minutes, we will talk <laughs> brief spoilers about The Last of Us Part Two, and then we'll talk books and we'll, we'll talk being a literary agent and, and a park ranger and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so proceed with the spoilers. Okay, cool. So I think it was just, it's really brave of a game to say that we played the first um, game, The Last of Us, as Joel. And in the second one, he dies within like the first 30 to 45 minutes of gameplay. Um, I almost checked my controller through my screen. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and um, he was killed. And it's really interesting to me. Um, I think it was like, it's really great because um, as like 
readers and as an audience of, of games and stuff like this type of storytelling, we are, even if we don't know too much about the ins and outs of crafts and formulas, we still are subconsciously used to a certain narrative. So we don't expect our heroes to die. Um, and I, I think a lot of the more, I mean, of course, and the way a story can make you feel is how it makes you feel. Um, and if that's, I'm not going to try to like <laughs> talk you out of it. But I think the, the point of it is, is that, yes, you, you feel things. Um, and I just think it, it was really bra like brave of them to, to tell the story in a way that's like, you know, you're going to turn off so many people from even finishing the game. The same way in stories um, in a trilogy series is, you know, when you don't expect like a character um, of yours to die. And it's just like, well, what do I do now? It was like my favorite, my favorite character. And it's just like all about kind of examining the ways that we attach ourselves to um, characters and based on the personality or their role in story, you know, what made Joel a hero? Only the fact that we were playing him. Right. Um, and I think then focusing it also on two women or two girls um, as the, the, the gameplay in The Last of Us 2, I think was also just such a relief um, to me, especially two girls that weren't, um, that you can't physically code as feminine too. I, th I felt like it was very um, relieving as, as a female gamer. Um, particularly in the fact that Ellie is a, a, a queer girl and she gets to have her queer love story on screen um, and it's not overly fetishized in the same way um, without going uh, te Technically a second queer love story for those of oh. us that hung around for the uh, <laughs> uh, for the DLC for Last of Us Part 1. Oh, my God. oh <laughs> yes. I mean, I played that and I was on the edge because I played it after finishing The Last of Us um, and I was just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I was just expecting something bad. I mean, and of course it did, but it was ultimately such um, a joyful story and that's like, again, what I love those um, when we can get characters within a bigger fantasy world or a bigger genre world and then just have them in within their own within a story that's driven by themselves rather than really the bigger machinations of the world um, and I really love that DLC um, left behind for that reason um, and then I also, I also just like really love Abby as a character who is more masculine presenting you know with her muscles and her um, the way that she, uh, you would, we would code her as masculine, the way that she, um, her personality and how she interacts with people in the world. And I just love that. I don't know if I lost my point. Oh, I got to the point but... where I was grudgingly accepting of Abby. Yes. Uh, they never quite convinced me to dislike Elle and they mm -hmm. tried really hard. I'm like, nope, I, yes. I can't. I've loved no. her since she was little. But <laughs> doesn't matter what um... she does. They all deserve to die. <laughs> it's just, I love that. It's just, a, I think the main thing that I take away from that, well, for me, the story wasn't even about revenge and the lengths that you would go, but like the, the, the way that we as people don't say what we really mean to the people that we love, um, you know, and the kind of regret that comes from that. And I felt like for me, that was kind of like the theme of the story that got on. And it was like, just really interesting that like, of course I love Ellie. I've been with Ellie for these last few years, um, I'm so close to her and I, I can't ever shame her or um, 
deride her for her decisions, even though it's painful. At the, at the, by the time you get to the last fight with her and Abby, I'm just like, Ellie, can we go? I don't want to do this. Like, not even that I like Abby now and I'm rooting for her. It's just like, I don't want you to put yourself through this like painful situation. And I think that's like an amazing, for me, like an amazing moment of storytelling. It's like, we are with you. Um, we may be supporting you, but it's taking something from me. And isn't that the goal of any story? It was definitely deeply moving. It's an incredible game. I would never say anything bad about the production. I love Ellie still as a character, but a fatal-ish fatal flaw for me. Mm -hmm. I'll run this by you, and then you tell me why. No, okay. I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and a Steve audience will learn about a story, hopefully, uh, somewhere in there. <laughs> or they'll just nerd out with us. One of those two things. Um, but the point where Abby comes back, especially when we get, because I was, I was ready to, all right, Elle's reached her final penultimate revenge stage. It's about time to plug in my controller and call it day. And they're like, nope, you're going to play Abby's backstory. Oh my God, this game is crazy long. Um, but yes. at that moment where she comes in and we, now that we've played her whole backstory and we play that moment again, where she's killed everybody to protect Lev and mm -hmm. she's become a metaphorical Joel which ah, isn't that you know rich and ironic and all that good stuff. But I don't buy that she doesn't kill Ellie in the theater. The only reason that she doesn't kill her at that moment, who, because she's a clear and uh, uh, present threat to Lev, mm -hmm. who she's just killed her own people to protect. There's no way she does, while I'm here, let me make sure that I never <laughs> see you coming again, which by the way, we know by the end of the game would have been the right move. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ellie's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't that that was the one moment where I feel like oh, this isn't a character choice this is the plot and it's necessary and did I have fun yes was it was it all kinds of wonderful and, and enjoyable and did I love the rat zombie where they fight all through the fight yes I oh did my God, that part so I can't say that much bad it's not a game breaking thing but it is a yes. pet peeve I, I, I think about I actually haven't really thought about that moment as much as the moment where like would Ellie just leave the tranquility that she's made with Dina and the farmhouse and you just go. I'm like, at that point, I was like, this game is really long. Like, I don't know we could have ended it here. Right. Um, but that moment is actually really interesting. And I'm, I haven't really thought about, you know, that to me at that, I've just always been thinking like, okay, maybe she just realized that, you know, what's the point of this? Like she's, we've all lost enough, but then again, she's lost so much at that point. It's like, why not? Um, she, she did all of that, but that's like, um, I haven't really thought about that. And I, I, I I didn't like going to that, like that it was just like, oh, Dina's pregnant. So Mel died and she was pregnant. So I don't know. I just really, after reading so many thrillers in the adult space, that's like, you know, Gone Girl and kind of those type of things. It's just like women and pregnancy and like is always, it's been used at such a weird um story element of like the pen ultimate like do like oh people can never really step over this line or it's like if the loss of a child is will make them like go you know like lose all their boundaries and have a psychotic breakdown and then like you know uh, torment their ex-husband for the rest of their lives i don't know so i felt like yes sorry all that to say i do feel like i it needed a little bit more for me in that moment. But um, I like that Abby from the very beginning was very specific on who she felt deserved um, 
punishment for their deeds and who should be spared because she already initially spared Ellie and Tommy um, going after Joel in the beginning. And then there, it's like she had to go through all of that. Um, well, sparing yeah, them at what? first made and sense they, because okay. she was just on the revenge quest for Joel. That was all she wanted was to hurt him. Um, but then later when she goes, you know, totally Joel crazy, killing everybody um, to protect Lev, that's a different state of mind. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because at that moment, she just found out all her friends are dead. Why, I Wouldn't you be in like a, a this is good. I'm going to think about this, Rob. I'm going to get back to you. <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about that. <laughs> well, I, I have to fully acknowledge that this is like having the most wonderful dinner served up ever, and then complaining that I don't <laughs> like the color of the napkin at the end of it. But it is a little thing that that, that bothered me about an otherwise wonderful game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always like even if you love a story or you love a movie or you love a book, you know, you can always have critiques. There's no, you, they're not mutually exclusive, <laughs> right? <laughs> So it occurs to me, uh, mm-hmm. Kiana, that you are a literary agent with Donald Mass. <laughs> and uh, Steve, audience, while they love The Last of Us Part Two, is probably getting a little bit impatient yes. with me. Oh, for the love <laughs> of God, Rob, ask her about being a literary agent. What kind of books is she looking? Is she looking for my book? So let's start there. What kind of projects are you seeking? Oh, gosh. I think this really speaks to um, my upbringing on Lifetime and Chucky and Fry Krueger. But I really just want dark messed up stuff that is immersive um i i i really love narratives that put characters in a place where they have to just choose between their humanity and doing what's necessary for whatever their their goal is um a, something the last of us i could go to um, <laughs> um so Loki, for instance, in, in uh, Thor's brother, um, or like Loki in mythology, uh, or, okay, let's go back to Marvel. So Loki and Thor, like, you know, they're, they're really, they're brothers, they're really close, but Loki has always had that kind of, like, jealousy, even though he's always had Thor's back, and after a certain point, he's just like, why do I, why am I always following you? I want what I want, and I'll betray you and do all these things, um, and I really think it's interesting that even though Loki will do that. Loki will poison him. He'll like, you know, betray him. He'll fool him. He still has Thor's back at the end of the day. So I'd like to see that in a very dark, dark place. Um, (laughs) uh, And I want that um, in mainly in thrillers. um, And when I say thrillers, I mean domestic suspense. So again, um, that's the type of thing where the, the mystery or the plot or the um, danger is all about the the personal lives of the character. So not like, you know, a CIA agent finds out that a terrorist group is going to attack New York City and needs to figure it out. But like Jessica just found out her neighbor had been drugging all her dogs and trying to fi- find out why. That's really terrible. But in that sense of <laughs> these, everything that's connected with the plot has to do with the character, their personal lives and the people that they're connected with. Um, so like um, fire, a little fires everywhere, um, gone girl, stuff like that, but just uh, less white suburbia because I've been in white suburbia my whole life. I've been reading and watching stories about white suburbia my whole life and I'm a little bit bored a lot of it bored with it um, at this point. Um, again, stop me if I'm starting to get a little bit circular. Uh, <laughs> and in the in genre, I think um, so. I really 
love stories that are kind of big, that have big sets, big worlds. Um, that's why I love sci-fi. I love fantasy. I've always been a huge sci-fi fantasy fan my whole life. But I think that for me right now, I have been ingesting so many stories where the main character has this gift or this power and is about to save their city or their world or their people. And I'd rather kind of do a little bit of the side quests. Like, you know, what is, what's happening on with, you know, another group of characters in that exact same world. So to give a YA fantasy um, example, it's like the Grisha series. You have the main character. Oh my God, I don't remember her name. Oh, uh, the main character has this power and has the ability to take over this like dark Lord. I please do not tweet me telling me how ashamed and a furious you are that I don't remember these characters' names. I think it's the Darkling. Um, but like, so she has to do that and the whole world is is um, on her shoulders. But I kind of rather like the duology that followed within that same universe, Six of Crows, where it was just like a band of thieves uh, or like, you know, doing a very much smaller mission that only really affected their lives. Uh, I really love that. The same way to talk about movies, the last Star Wars trilogy. Um, what is it? So that's uh, The Last Jedi. The second one. Do you remember the title? Yeah, of the that? Last Jedi is this, because it's Rise of Skywalker is the third, and The yeah. Force Awakens is the Yeah, so The Last Jedi. And it's like, okay, you have um, Ray, and she's learning how to use the Force and stuff. But, you know, I really liked Finn and Rose going to Kanto fight. Like, I thought that that was really fun. <laughs> so like, that's just the kind of thing that I really love. Um, of course, they are harder sales. And I totally get that because it's like that whole thing between more commercial high concept, um, bigger stakes versus smaller stakes. But I do think that there's a way to pitch those and a way to make them um, more commercially viable, even if they are kind of these more intimate stakes. Um, but I just like, I would lo I love that in the horror setting, like, ugh, like, Oh God, I just want, and then most of all, Rob, I want horror. I want to be scared. I want to be so scared I'm dehydrated. Like that's, that's the type of fear that I want. And I think really good comps are like the Luminous um, Dead, which is an adult sci-fi. Hmm. Yeah, because it's about caving on plan a, a planet. So it's like this, um, the main character goes into this cave um, by herself um, to map out, map it out. And she, unbeknownst to her, people who have gone down there before have died. Um, and so it's the only person that she has for company is um, a, a, this voice in her ear of the person that she is assuming is monitoring, you know, her, her suit that she's in and all this stuff. So that's her only backup. And it's just very claustrophobic, very intimate um storytelling and i first read this so this is actually a donald moss book but i first read this when it was on submission um in an elevator as i was uh manning it overnight at the high line as they were um putting in some cargo um for an event and i so i was in this dark elevator after midnight reading this on my my phone and i was literally about to scream i was like so terrified and that's kind of the type or like anything like black mirror not that it has to be technological but those are really small 
intimate uh, stories that focus on these smaller webs of characters within a larger world. But within that, we are asking, still asking the big questions, you know, what do we mean to each other? What are we willing to do if we have access? What's your favorite Black Mirror? My favorite Black Mirror episode. Okay. Narrow it down for esteemed audience who's going to be submitting. Besides the happiest one, San Junipero, um, where we get really happy lesbian love story. Um, I'd say, actually, I just watched this um, recently. (laughs) It was the Miley Cyrus episode. uh, Is a recent favorite. I just... I I thought that was really cool and really interesting, and it really brings in... um, a conversation about pop culture that I think is kind of missing from genre in a way um, and how connected it is in our lives and like own our ownership of um, a public figure and the, how that perceived ownership manipulates that person in their own personal life behind the scenes. I thought that was really cool, but um, probably besides that, probably everything is it everything leads to you? No, is that there's there's one. Um, it's within the second season, I believe, and it's um, about the grain that collects memories, um, and you can replay them back. And it's about this guy who um, he's like on this job interview for a promotion at his company, and he after he he leaves, he flies back out to this dinner with his wife's old friends, and it's kind of about how he obsesses over his perceived readings over these memories that he's going over and the things that he saw that night and how it kind of drives him uh, to destroy his marriage. Um, and I love that because I'm a very obsessive thinker. Um, and I always want to see, I always see like, I don't know, the, the, uh, the, 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 you know, what can be wrong, like, you know, that, that anxiousness. And I feel like it's very true to relationships, like, you know, your doubts and how you can let your doubts, like you really have to have a sense of trust or, you know, and okay, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm leading anywhere. <laughs> just like, but that's like, <laughs> I really like that because it, it, it really has us question, you know, again, how do we interact with each other with our loved ones? You know, what's important to us and um, do we have the ability just to believe? That Every makes sense. Life, right? so. I'm with you. <laughs> Oh, I, I agree. San Junipero is the, there's no topping it. Although the recent Anthony Mackie video game one, whatever that one was called, yeah. uh, turned my head to the side. Like, ooh, I, I had not considered any of that. And <laughs> some of that makes a whole lot of sense. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a really cool thing. It's just like, um, and I think that's the great thing about science fiction and genre um, fantasy, like where you can come up with your own concepts of like, all this stuff like you know worlds and technology but it's just like who would have thought not me <laughs> that's why i, I had uh, read on your on, on your uh, um wish list mm-hmm. uh, that you are not interested in girls save was a girl saves the world story yes um what is a girl saves the world story why don't you want it Okay, so I would classify Girl Saves the World story. Um, Let's just go with a classic example of the Hunger Games. Now, Katniss, all homegirl really wanted to do was feed her family every single day and just survive. 
you know, she didn't want to be called. And, and choose between one of her two hunky boyfriends. Yeah, and choose between, which, um, I'm sorry, but if we're living in a world where, like, food is scarce, I'm going with the baker automatically. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, uh, that's, just, that's just me. Uh, that's just my personal decision. But, I mean, it's just, like, one, I think they're the most um, – familiar story that we have with this type of girl saves the world archetype is that she's always reluctant. That's not true for every case, but most of the time we see them, she's always reluctant. And I'm like, by page 70, I'm like, why can't we just let her do what she want to do? Somebody else has probably more experience, you know, <laughs> with whatever they have the more tech log like logistical thinking, like even in, um, the second book in the hunger games where she's like joint is maybe not the second so the third where she's like join the rebellion and she's like the face of it she's still not coming up with anything the only thing that she's good for um is her face and like you know the the connotations of how people think of her which i think is also a really interesting commentary on you know our perceptions of people and our perceptions of power um but i would have been cool with watching her run away and just live in the forest um uh, <laughs> probably be pretty boring but that's just that example um it could be a yeah. local a local level villain yeah uh, um, that she could take down it's just, okay the same sorry to go back to this example but it is kind of perfect on the last of us joel's whole arc is to get this girl ellie who is immune to the the virus which is actually not a virus it's a fungus um which you can't get a cure for um this, that turns people into zombies like his whole thing is to get her there so they can create a cure to save the world but really that story is about joel and ellie surviving day to day and becoming closer together um and figuring out like you know what's more important the world or each other and that story is more interesting to me than we have to find the cure and i think it's just because but that one still has the the stakes of the whole world it's just the opposite it's boy destroys world oh <laughs> yes exactly saves. but i just okay so like just to sum it up it's just me if we were at the end of the world i am not concerned with what can i do to make this better i am going to be like what can i do to make sure me and my loved ones get what we need for what we want right I mean, that's just, let's, at the end of the day, that's our well, basic. Well, the way 2020 is going, we, we may have the opportunity to test that. Theory. Yeah, you <laughs> may have the opportunity. And I'm just like, which, by the way, um, I'm out. Uh, you can count me out. You could take, I'll open up my drawers with my two cans of soup. I will give them out because I am not surviving in that situation. I am, uh, I chopped wood one time in my life. It almost slipped out of my hands and cut off my ankle. So I'm fine. No faith in your ability to survive the apocalypse. Yes. So uh, uh, would-be queriers need to take that into consideration. Yeah. Great literary agent, so long as uh, society <laughs> remains intact. Yes, yes. But is this who you want representing you in the yes. zombie apocalypse? Exactly. Do you? Can you count on me post-apocalypse? The answer is no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You should put that on your new bio, just up there. Yeah. Let everybody know up front. 
Um, Something yeah. else that uh, I saw that I really wanted to ask you about of while we were talking about storm. I have so many questions for you. Um, but one that I, I, I'm dying to ask you is you had said that you didn't want to read a standard coming out story. So my question for you is one, if, if I could have you first define what is a standard coming out story and then give us some insight as how to make that better. How can authors mm -hmm. dig deeper and make that something that would turn your head that you'd be interested in? Yeah, of course. Okay. It's just, this is me. Um, even though I grew up on Lifetime and I love really sad stories about people <laughs> experiencing really sad things, um, coming out is just, we've, we have been un inundated in our society of like really sad and depressing coming out stories where the person is experiencing like homophobia and this is um, manifesting within physical and emotional and mental abuse, um, even before people know that they're, they're queer or, and after, um, and they're usually in small towns. Um, they're usually, and just getting either beaten down by family or like a popular person at their school. And it's just really, really rough. And I don't know how much farther, further, see, this is also, I'm not a copy editor. Um, with this, with this uh, specific story. But all that said is, it is still a very true reality for a lot of people. And a lot of people, particularly who are going through the phase of questioning, and this is at any age, um, their identity, um, these types of stories can really help ground people. Um, for that reason, I like to, I like stories that have queer people being queer and just enjoying their lives. This doesn't mean that I want the world to ignore the fact that homophobia and again, like even racism and other prejudices exist, but we also need to share worlds where that aren't defined by the trauma that your identity can cause. Um, so how to make coming out um, stories a little bit deeper, I think, one, I'd like to see so many, and this is not the fault of writers either, um, because a lot of times writers write what they know, and a lot of people who tell coming out stories may be from backgrounds from smaller towns where it is harder. Um, and these are stories that also publishing gravitates to in terms of marginalized identities. It's almost like they really love the trauma of it all. That's what brings the awards, I guess. Um, but I think a really great example of a coming out narrative that wasn't necessarily about coming out, but it had that factor in it is a movie. It's a Netflix um, that was on Netflix called the half of it. Um, that was written by an Asian American writer about a, a young girl who helps this kid <laughs> write uh, love letters to the girl he has a crush on unbeknownst to him. She has a crush on her as well. The story isn't really about, um, the girl eventually getting with the love interest. Um, it's really much a story about friendship and seeing each other um, and connecting with each other um, as, you know, her and, and the boy realize that they have a lot of like, you know, similarities in common, even though that their personalities might be different. And again, with her father, who um, is an immigrant, she's first generation, um, and how he relates to her in her sexuality and her identity, so yes, she does come out during the course of the story. There is a moment of, um, there is a homophobic moment in it, but ultimately that story 
is a coming of age story with a coming out story within it, if that makes sense. Um, it's like, you know, how Lady Bird is just a story about a white girl who's coming of age as a teen and she's dealing with sexuality um, and that's heterosexuality in that case. But that's how I would want to see it with queer stories. Um, like characters coming of age within their worlds and like coming out or their sexuality or their identity is just one part of it. Make it part of like a bigger fabric rather than like the main thing. I just cannot personally withstand the emotional trauma of seeing someone abused or beaten down um, because of who they are. The same way I don't like bully narratives too. Um, and that's aside from queerness or race or anything like that. I don't, I, I just can't handle it. I'd rather see um, just more joyful stories. Does that mean that we have to ignore realities? No, but can that, I think it could be threaded in. It's um, the same way to go on a little tangent. I want, I'm not a great agent for a book like The Hate You Give, but I love it as a reader but I'm just not the agent for that. Cause you really have to immerse yourself in a story and you're reading it over and over again. You're trying to figure out how to pitch it. And it just would be too emotionally fraught for me. Gotcha. So you don't want to do the, the emotional drama to yourself over and over and over again. Yeah. As many times as we need to yes. make sense. Now say the story is about a bank robber. She's, she's a bank robber or they are a bank robber. Um, and they're dealing with, <laughs> I don't know, liking their partner. Angie the Thomas, team. I hope you're, you're listening. We're, we're pitching the gold here. <laughs> they're, they're dealing with liking their partner on a team who maybe is like, and it's like a, a, like a queer romance within the bigger space of like this, this, this heist story. And they're maybe navigating, oh, like, I didn't know I was attracted to this person. No, honestly, to me, why, why can't I, I'm like, oh, I'd rather at this point them just be queer without having all the questioning. But I understand. Um, then I'm okay with that uh, as a subplot or like a threaded in the narrative. <laughs> gotcha. So you would, you would prefer almost a character that's already secure in their sexuality. They've dealt with that. Maybe they've already got an established relationship. Now let's worry about robbing these banks or yes. dealing with these zombies or, or whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> exactly. That makes sense. So, okay. So, um, Let's run some quick numbers. How many queries are you receiving a week, a month, whatever you want to say, versus how many uh, are you requesting at least a partial one? Because you get the first 10 pages up front, right? Mm -hmm. So how often do you request a partial? And then a year, how many uh, new clients are you taking on? Okay. So I have been acquiring clients and open to queries since 2018. Um, also, during I, I want to give a real shout out to writers at this time because writers are writing and they are querying, and I am amazed by it. Um, I would say I think right now I have about 400, between 400 to 500 queries, and that's all from like June, like the beginning of June to now. I am amazed. Um, Quarantine is a perfect time to finally sit down yeah. and, and uh, get those words on the page. I wish that was true for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm having absolute issues with that, but I'm so <laughs> glad that other people aren't. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, a lot of, um, I've had a lot of uh, offers of requests come in from writers who are getting requests from other agents too. So there are also a lot of agents working very quickly 
at this time. This is all to say caveat, it's not me. I am working at a, a much slower pace than other of my colleagues, which I am happy for them, but that's just something that you, if you wanna know, that's, it's just out there. That's for you to <laughs> uh, deal with. But um, I got, it's actually interesting that I have five clients now. One second, sorry. <laughs> I have five clients now, um, and four of them I got through pitch contests. So it would be one was from Pitch Wars in 2017, and then one was a DB Pit um, request, uh, which is a Twitter pitch contest, and then one was a Pit Mad um, request, which was is also a Twitter pitch contest, and then um, I think another one was also a DV pit and we, she first, I first requested it within 2018 and I think she did a R and R um, and she submitted again in 2019. And then I have my adult, those are all YA clients. And then I have an adult romance client who queried me um, last year. So I have actually only signed one client um, from queries so far, but that does not mean I haven't requested from queries or um, offered. So I would say um, I'm not great with numbers. Um, but if let's say I get 200 queries, um, I might be requesting one or two out of them. Um, and then out of 10 requests, I might be request, um, offering on one. This is solely because I am trying to be very intentional with the projects that I sign. I have loved or like really liked many requests that I've had, um, but maybe it's like, this is not speaking to me on like a humanist level. Like I, you know, I've mentioned several times that I really wanna talk about stories that really get at the heart of human connection and how we interact with each other in the world. And maybe at this point, like, um, and maybe at that time, like this maybe just wasn't hitting it for me um, there. Um, or right now I'm really looking for, I'm so sorry. Did I just burp? And can you hear that? I mean, I think you would have gotten away with it, but now for <laughs> sure everybody knows that it happened. <laughs> sorry. Um, or like right now I've, I've been leaning away from kind of high fantasy narratives because I really, um, I love world building. I love, I mean, I, I love those, the details of how worlds work and magic systems, if it has magic and stuff like that. But really right now, I really want intimate, immersive, emotionally, um, like emotional inner life um, I, and kind of voicey stuff that's like on the page. Um, so it's just, it's just, I'm being so particular about the kind of the projects that I signed, but sorry, going back to the original question, um, I do, I request fulls if I want to see, see the project, um, because I just can't stand, um, getting to like page 50 and I'm like, I want to read more. And then having to ask for it. Um, and again, and then I also think at certain point, it's a little bit unfair because say that you have a full manuscript, you're going to stop reading when you stop reading anyway. So it's kind of, I, and then I think requesting a partial and then requesting a full can put a lot of stress on the writer because then it's like a lot more anxiety of like, will they request the full now that they have the partial, that type of thing. So I, I, I don't know. I'm yeah, we're at a nice restaurant. One of us is <laughs> down on one knee. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen? <laughs> um, we haven't got our breadstick refill. kind of want to deal with that first before we answer this question. Um, 
Uh, Do you want to start the rest of our lives without breadsticks, my God? I'm like, I can't. I, I, I couldn't live with myself, honestly. Um, and then uh, when I look at queries, um, I think query letters are really important, but I also understand how hard they are. Um, I can never, I still can't write them myself. Um, I do give query consultations though, and I found that I'm really helpful with giving notes. I just, <laughs> um, but I like to read the pages first, and then if I'm interested in what I'm reading, go back to the query to get a better vis visualization of what the story is. Because um, I just feel like it's more fair, because at the end of the day, it's, it's always about the writing, right? And maybe a writer um, might not know what to pitch a story as. So, like, say, Okay, so like say I have a client who wrote a, a book about like, oh, it's like a witch book and she's infiltrating this human kingdom. And that's like the pitch, but, to, but you can also pitch that as a story of sisterhood. So, and you could pitch your story, your book, um, by the way, writers, any way you want, really. It's, um, and I think sometimes it's like hard to, just, um, in, the, in a querying stage, depending on like where you're at in your writing career and your writing journey to know okay, what is the pitch that I want to pitch my story as? Um, and then how do I do that with, when there's like these other plots or these other things that I'm talking about that are just as interesting to me? So like, what's the focus? And I, sometimes I think that's a, it's a lot to ask. So I, I give a lot of forgiveness um, on the query letter. All that to say, I am a stickler for whether queries follow guidelines. Um, I am a super paranoid person. Um, I was not really cognizant in Y2K. I was like nine, um, but it really got into my brain. So I see attachments on emails and I delete them. I'm not opening it up. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm just of realizing I sent you an attachment earlier. I apologize. But we had already corresponded at that point. And I asked about you from um, from Holly, Holly Root. I was like, Rob, do you know Rob? She's like, Rob's fantastic. He's great. I was like, okay, see? Oh, but well, I, I can check it out. Back at you. I appreciate it. Can't really do that with a lot of queriers. And as someone who grew up watching The Matrix and conspiracy theories in Lifetime, I just uh, am a very cautious person. So... <laughs> I would always say, read a, a agents in a, um, an agency submission guidelines, and then if an agent has specific ones, read those. I mean, of course, it's always fair to reach out and ask questions. Um, hopefully, the agent will answer or see it and answer. I don't think it's always they're ignoring you, but um, be it's just read that and read it again, because you'll be surprised um, how many just blatantly. I've gotten so many queries that are like, I have read, researched how to write a query, and I don't like it, so I'm just going to throw this at you instead. Really? More than once like, that, you, that, that, that more than gem once. has shown up yes. in your inbox. The confidence amazes me. I'm like, teach me your ways. Uh <laughs> 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 it's like, uh, I, uh, I was always amazed back in my single days, which God knows the whole world has changed since then. It's been so long ago. Uh, but oh, if so I were at a bar, you. and I, oh yeah, yeah, no, very, very happily married. Um, but, um, when uh so god what 16 17 years ago when i was in a in a situation at a singles bar um and i would see somebody approach someone of, of either sex and lead with why are all members of whatever sex that person is terrible <laughs> who is that opening line gonna ever work on <laughs> astounding 
it's, it's astounding to me. Um, that's, that's what I think of when I hear stories like this. Why are all literary, all literary agents are terrible, but I'm hoping you will be the one brilliant yeah, to recognize like, me. Um, <laughs> if that flattered me as an individual, I work with literary agents, so it, it, you're insulting my colleagues. <laughs> um, but I understand that it's a very, querying is such a very frustrating process, and there's always going to be more writers and agents, so I definitely understand, like, you know, where where it can be a really emotionally draining and exhausting, but um, you can just kind of send that stuff to your friends and then just save their cordialness for us. <laughs> Sit anonymously on a board. Come on. Yes. Man. Reddit is there. <laughs> so do you read the query first or you just dive into the 10 pages to see if the query is even worth your time? Yeah, so I read the pages first, and then I go back to the query if I'm um, interested. Um, and then I'm, I'm trying this thing now, which does take longer, where I try to give a line or two on, like, why something isn't working for me, um, which is kind of really hard because it, it – it's, it's just like trying to figure out what comment or critique will be most valuable to the writer in the most broad sense rather than just me in particular. But sometimes it really is something like, you know, a story is not for me and it's not the writing. It's not the story. It's just, I mean, like, I don't want to read about robot chickens right now. Um, that's, well, I mean, not, if it opens that's not a query with, that I got. But today just, was the day our heroine would bravely save the world after she came out from fighting with homophobia. That, <laughs> you don't need to read paragraph yeah. two. That's <laughs> and then sometimes I do that. And I mean, I think it's just always kind of, I really try to keep in mind that every story that writers write um, is really personal to them. It's really, you, you're the only one working on your book, right? For such a long time. So you grow really close to it. So I try to be um, as sympathetic to that as possible um, and trying out this this thing. But it's just kind of really hard to parse out critiques sometimes. That's a wholly different thing. Just, But it's just because um, sometimes it's like, do I really want to throw six sentences of <laughs> this thing? Or can I say something that's a little bit more easier? Um, but that's just my brain i don't know if that's interesting to anybody <laughs> no i think that'd be absolutely fascinating anyone hoping to query that i heard your thoughts on the last of us part two i have a <laughs> ps4 i need you to be my my agent right away um how about uh typos within those first 10 pages is that do you have oh. allowance for that the story is good enough that okay yeah there's 12 typos in 10 pages come on champ get a little bit more professional but does that prevent you from requesting a full or is that a deal um, breaker Honestly, I've never counted typos um, in a query. However, I think if there are, I think our brains, um, there are typos that we can slide over them so we don't even really notice them. But I guess there is like a certain threshold where if there's enough, it's like, oh, this is... So I, 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 I can't give a number to it, but I would say make it as clean as possible. I mean, I send emails all the time with typos. Um, so I really try to be more forgiving on that. But when it comes to the page, like, so in a query, but if, when it comes to the pages themselves, um, the hope is that you've kind of been through this with a fine tooth comb. So I would say um, as long as there's not excessive typos within like 
a successive number. Is that the word, the right word? A successive number of lines. Um, Sounds good. Checks out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grammatically correct, forget Yeah. I'm not a copy editor. <laughs> I'm always horrified if I send an email with a typo because, of course, at the bottom of every email is my shameless plug. I am a writer. Here's my books. Here's my website. As you can see from this flawless email, look forward to the incredible quality that awaits you. Oh my gosh, my browser was um, autocorrecting my name. So I signed, um, I go by Kiki um, on Twitter and um, in a lot of professional literary settings, I'll like submit my name as Kiki. So it's like, if you call me that, um, Rob or you audience, um, that's not a terrible thing. Um, I'm, I've been trying really hard to establish that. Um, but, um, uh, so my, anybody who listens, they don't, they don't have to be me having yeah. had this uh, intimate conversation. They can just be a bystander <laughs> and they can go with Kiki. Yes, exactly. Um, but my, my browser was autocorrecting Kiki to Loki for a long time. And sometimes <laughs> I wouldn't catch it. So why would um, you want to? That's, yeah. that's perfect. <laughs> uh, so for that reason, even I've even been forgiving to queriers who've misspelled my name, even though my name is like, you know, on my agency website and everywhere. Um, I am a little bit more forgiving on that unless it's like really like you know you use an e instead of an i k-i-a-n-a is how you spell my name but even then I'm, i try to be a little bit more forgiving even though it, um but that's just me personally don't do that with other people and you know also make sure that you are copy and pasting correctly because sometimes i'll get like dear andrew I'm like i'm not andrew i really hurt my feeling <laughs> Dear Hollywood, you're the best yes. literary agent around. <laughs> I, I tell her all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I assume somebody would, would, would send that to you. That's off to a bad start right away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you get past the query, the 10 pages are solid. Mm -hmm. You get the full. You love the full. What happens next? Okay, so uh, love the full. Um, Send a, I would uh, extend an offer. I actually, that's not true. I like to arrange phone calls um, with writers that I'd be interested in representing if I love their manuscripts because I still want to get a feel for their personality and like, how they work. Whether they have more ideas um, in the bucket, they don't have to be like giving me like reading out synopsis to me about like their next projects. But um, it just helps get a sense of like, what, where do you see your career going? Um, sometimes, you know, the book that an author queries is like the book of their heart and they've been working around it for so long that they kind of forget that there is a book after that. Um, that's not a bad thing, of course. Um, and a lot of writers kind of fall issue to that. Me as a writer fell issue to that. Um, but, uh, oh, right. Um, it is nice to know what, kind of the next projects you have in mind because a lot about being a successful career writer and I don't I mean that in terms of having your next books published is kind of creating a recognizable brand for your that your first readers of your debut will trust so they will trust you um, in delivering books that they will continue to enjoy from book one to book two to book three um, I think that's even especially important within um, genre in sci-fi and fantasy and in the YA category um, versus like maybe if you're like a, a, an adult um, thriller writer you can kind of do things that are a little bit different um, in terms of like uh, narrative style 
or scope. Um, this is probably like, or like women's fiction, like, you know, it was a little bit more forgiveness, but in general, as a writer, um, you should kind of have a recognizable brand for the first few books in your career. So that's something that's really important to me. Um, and then again, personality. I don't mean like you as a person have to be like specific, but I think it's really important um, for writers to consider whether they mesh well with how their agent works. Um, you know, are they someone who likes to be informed of every step of the way? And is the agent someone who likes to give information every step of the way? Or is the agent someone that's more um, concise and wants to give you information like, you know, in a, in a bundle rather than individually. What um, type of agent are you? Yeah. So I, I like to work um, with, and then I think that was like a really, uh, maybe not the best example for that, but um, I work with like, you know, how my clients like to work. So I have a client that likes to get monthly updates versus like updates as they come in, just so they can deal with whatever it is all at once, rather than the anxiety of an email can pop up at any time. Um, and then also as an agent, I, I have this thing where I'm 27, so I'm really young. I grew up uh, at an age when like AIM and was the thing and Tumblr and MySpace were a thing. So I am very used to being like really profusely me on my internet uh, in my internet life, specifically on my Twitter. So like, yes, I'll be talking about professional stuff, but I'll definitely be talking about, whoa, I really think Mackenzie Davis and Terminator Dark Fate is the coolest and I will geek out about it in that sense, um, which is not a bad thing. But um, I, so I, I feel like I come off as really personable um, and that can create, I think, um, the sense that I'm always accessible. Um, and agents, I mean, I think we do kind of give off the sense that we are always working, which is true, but I also feel like boundaries are really important. So it's like communication style. Can you be available for a text at all times of the day or only email during work hours? And that's something that I don't think, um, I, or I, I think that writers should really think about in terms of communication. Cause sometimes it's like um, your agent, ask your agent um, that you're talking with, like, do they only like to be contacted in via email, via phone call? via whatever and it only during business hours or can you be available like if I'm going through like this emergency at every time um okay so like enough about communication stuff. No, what's your uh, what's Great. your preference um I am again so I brought up like you know my internet like kind of personality and presence because I feel like I have um I'm really friendly um and I think that I so I'm trying to really establish more that I am still as your agent, a, a partner to you in your business. Um, so that would be, I am available during business hours via email, uh, Twitter, DM, or like even text. But you know, if it's six o'clock at night, my time, please respect that. I might not answer until the next day, even if I see it, you know, um, that type of thing. Or um, sometimes as a person, you might be someone who really needs a shoulder, um, you know, if we're panicking over a submission or, you know, you don't know what's happening with your book next. And I am trying to like be upfront. Like sometimes it's like there are agents that are able to be able to talk you through that, but I am a bungle 
of a human. And I don't know if I can <laughs> accurately give that support. So I will might direct you to, you know, your peer group for that. I can help you with giving you the facts or like the, the instructions of like, you know, how the step will go. Like, so for submission, for instance, I'll give like a rundown on how that works. Um, and I could tell you that and I could arm you with that information, but I can't necessarily help you with like the emotional um, effects of being on submission. So I'm really upfront with that because um, I think it's really hard to know, like, what can you go to your agent for? And always, always open for questions. I feel like you should never, ever be afraid to ask your agent a question um, about anything. Because, I mean, that's what they're there for, to help that navigate that for you. Um, can I call you at 4 o'clock within office hours before the PS4 gets fired up and cry yes, for, like, exactly. 30 minutes? <laughs> I mean, maybe, like, email me or message me to be like, hey, can you call? Because phone calls are very anxious-making for me. I don't know what it is. It's just like, ah, I always think it's, like, um, it's like the, my student loans calling me. <laughs> like, I, I never answer my phone uh, if I don't know who it is. Um, so that's like something to talk about. And then work style. So editorially, sometimes, well, I think as an agent, my job is to guide you to help you write the book that you want to write. Um, and I think that's been something that's been as a younger agent in, in terms of like the number of years that I've been working um, as an agent with my writers, it's been definitely a learning experience and I really enjoy it. Every writer is different. Um, but it's, it's kind of really about how am I giving notes that best help you? So like, are, do you only want notes? Um, you know, is it really important for you to get notes on story and plot or is it really important for you to get notes on voice and narrative style? Um, of course, it's different for every writer, but I am very editorial and I prefer to do kind of bigger um, world edits. So that would be like, what's the world building? What's the plot? And then going into then each, if it's called for each successive round and dealing with like the finer things of character um, and voice in one. And then maybe the next one's just kind of like line editing or something like that. Um, but I think that writers should also know that if agents give you a no or like, so on this call, I might be like, here's my, edit here's my vision for the book. I think that's also something too. When you are talking with editors on this offer call, it's very much on getting, how do they see your book? And is it in line with how you see your book? And if it differs in a way, are you, is it, are you okay with changing it to fit that? Or are you really, this is not my book. So like, um, I'm trying to think of like something that we all know, like Back to the Future um, is, you know, uh, Marty McFly is going to the past with his like mentor, Doc. You know, what if I was like, I don't like Doc. I don't, I don't want him here. And you're like, well, Doc is a big part of the story. So that's something you would be like, okay, do I? Thank you for your time, Mr. Yen. I wish <laughs> yes, exactly. The <laughs> uh, you don't know anything about storytelling, and honestly, uh, you, you should be demoted. <laughs> Doc is the heart of that movie. <laughs> uh, I think that's um, something too. And then it's very important at the agent stage, and then when you go on further, um, peeking into going on submission with editors, you're also doing that same thing again. An editor's going to tell you what their vision for the book is, and you're going to have to decide whether it's in line with yours whether you are, whether you are, you want to make um, those, uh, you want to 
concede to the, that vision or whether you're just like, you're not the agent for me, I'm going to move on to the next one. I think that's a really big, important part. I think a lot of, um, it's so, once you get that call, you're just like, I just want an agent. But um, every agent is not the best agent um, for you. Um, and I think, you know, an agent who's great for one person might not be great for you too. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot like um, really, and of course you can't do this all on a call. And it's very, uh, but I think it's really important to have, a, a sense of what's important to you to have in terms of communication, in terms of, you know, how you talk even to me, like, you know, how you, how we address each other. Um, and like, you know, the, uh, communication, like whether you want, you are okay with not hearing back if there's no, if, if there's no news or if there's nothing going on, or if you want them to check in with you, like about like, you know, how your revision is doing that type of stuff. So have a very clear mind about those type of things um, so that you can kind of go through the checklist when the agent is. So you can, I think that could be a little bit more helpful in terms of like focus on that call. But anyway, so I, I do that call. And then if I feel like we are aligned in most of these things, I will offer um, at, uh, later on in the call. Um, because again, it's just like, I have to get a sense of your work style, a sense of where you want to go in your career. I very much believe in growing a writer organically. Um, so rather than about your, like, you know, social media brand or your persona, I'm interested in your, your work and your writing and how that will build you. Um, I want to grow the writer, not the person. Not the, does that make sense? In terms of, like, I want to grow the work. I think so, but before we're ever having a phone call, I'm assuming you do some kind of online stalking. A little bit, check my Twitter, check website. Um, I don't really do that. Uh, (laughs) I just forget that that's a thing that you can do. (laughs) 2020, and I forget that research is a thing. Um, (laughs) I think that's something that's been really interesting, um, particularly in the YA space, which I I represent young adult and adult. Um, fiction and we could talk about that um, more too but I think a lot of writers that I've had on calls have had questions on like what are you gonna how can you help me with my social media and my answer is I'm I'm not that's not my job my job is to help you grow as a as a writer with your work and at the end of the day it doesn't matter how many followers you have on Twitter if they're not going to buy your book because it's not you know um, so that's kind of what I I lean towards makes sense um, I've got all, all kinds of questions for you. I know we're coming up uh, close to the deadline of when we said arbitrarily that we would end this, but if you're having fun we, and you don't mind blowing past it, I'm game. Yeah, I'm, all I'm right, ready. Sweet. Let's talk. Let's you're the it. first person I've talked to in years. <laughs> it feels that way. Doesn't <laughs> it? Quarantine is crazy. <laughs> Although this week I'm uh, homeschooling my, my six-year-old, so I'm talking to all the teachers and they're telling me what to do and it's... Uh, I'm worn out. I don't know how teachers do it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I uh... bless you. <laughs> um, what did I want to ask you about? You know what? You mentioned conspiracies, and I've been half jumping out of my chair. So real quick, um, I gotta ask. Uh, Steve, audience knows I have yes. to ask. Yes. Uh, Kiana Nguyen. Uh, Nguyen. Uh, have you ever seen a flying saucer and or a? I've ghost? seen a ghost. Okay. <laughs> I've seen many ghosts. Um, my first Go flying ghost. saucers. Tell us about the ghosts. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know what was going on in this time period, but there was this time when I was very obsessed with the movie um, 
Nicole Kidman's movie, The Others. I was like super obsessed with it. I love that movie. I love Nicole Kidman. I will literally watch Nicole Kidman wash a car. Like I just think she's phenomenal. <laughs> um, I had a poster of her on my wall as a boy as Dr. Chase Meridian from uh, Batman <laughs> Forever. Just quick confession. No, apropos of nothing. Moving no, on. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so I was like, really, I guess I was just really open to this. But my friend um, from daycare, she, her, her parents had a house. And so her parents like lived, it was a two apartment house. So her parents lived in the apartment downstairs and the kids lived in the apartment, like upstairs, like just in terms of like sleeping arrangements, they weren't like fending for themselves. Um, but this upstairs apartment was like scary. Um, and so we were playing this game where we were pretending to be possessed by ghosts. Um, and then we went, it was like, it's like super dark, creepy, like, that's like swimming in the sea and covering so yourself gloomy. in chum. Yeah. Pretending to be possessed it's like, by oh, ghosts. surprise that the shark came along. <laughs> so, like, later that night, it was a sleepover, so we're sleeping, and I, like, wake up, and then there's this man standing in, like, this, like, 1920s suit and a bowler hat. Okay, I don't know fashion. I don't know if the 20s hats were bowler hats, but just, just forgive me here. So he's standing in front of like, he crossed the room in front of the stereo and he's just like, he's just like, I've never seen one of these things before. But his, ba his back was facing me. And I remember desperately not wanting him to turn around, which was fine. Cause he never did. He just appeared next to me. Um, <laughs> surprise. Uh, that was cool. Um, but that, that, that was cool. That, <laughs> <laughs> but he was some, I was like, I was probably around like 11 or 12 then. And I've seen a couple more just, or like just felt the presence. I very much believe um, in ghosts and the spiritual realm and uh, how it can coincide with ours. Does that uh, make you calmer or less calm knowing that there's some it sort depends. of afterlife? It depends. <laughs> It depends because uh, you can also look at it just like, oh, so I have the possibility of being stuck in this plane after I go. Okay, cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How do you prepare I for that? I figure they're going to keep making Batman movies, so I will just haunt <laughs> houses that play those movies, and I'll just chill. I'll be the all coolest the time, ghost ever. People are like, I wish I was a vampire so I could have all these years to read. No, just be a ghost. <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. <laughs> I love a good ghost story. Um, something that you would un inevitably talk about during this, this conversation where we're going to figure out what our uh, working relationship is going to be like is what are my plans for the future? Where do I see myself? I'd like to ask that same question of you. So you've got uh, five uh, clients now. Mm -hmm. um, you're with Donald Moss. Uh, you're, you're on a first name basis with Holly Root. So nothing but big <laughs> things uh, heading your way. Where do you see yourself as a literary agent? Do you have, eventually I'm going to have my own agency. Gosh, right. did you hear me talking to my dad? Oh, he's very <laughs> much like, when are you going to start your own agency? And I'm like, I don't want to do, I don't want to do my own personal taxes. I cannot imagine doing tax season with <laughs> employees. Um, um, no, I very much love being um, an agent working at an agency, even aside from working with um, Donald Moss, um, the, the, the individual person and then my colleagues who are all amazing. Um, but I think that's just because being just an agent within an agency, I have so much more um, uh, 
maybe focus is not the word room to grow my list how I want to like um, I actually am presently still an assistant um, to many of my other colleagues at my agency as well um, which helps um, which also is why my, I have been so uh, intent that's what intentional um, about building my list the, um, the way that I have um, I really I think I really just want to kind of go for build I really want to build my client list of writers, people who have intention with their stories. This doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be like trying to change the world, whatever that means <laughs> with everything that they write, but just like the kind of projects I really want to work with the projects that kind of speak to me. And then writers who really care, I think about the effective stories that they have in this society, whether they're writing about a naked mole rat who loves nachos or, you know, <laughs> That would um, change the world. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of Kim Possible. Um, or like, you know, something more like uh, based on uh, real life injustices that are going on now. So I just uh, really like, uh, yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> um, so I, I, I am looking to sign on a couple of more clients by the end of the year. Uh, unfortunately, I was not ready for a pandemic. Um, and I have regressed in terms of my ability to uh, focus and complete tasks. So it's taking me so much longer to read things and like so much longer to just kind of like do regular um, things, which is such a bummer. But I'm hoping to, you know, hopefully as uh, we get used to the state of the world, um, being able to circumvent those things and um, just really get back into like reading full force again, um, which is funny. I mean, I want to get back to read really depressing, gloomy things. It's like Kiana really gets a therapist. <laughs> well, I like my depressing stuff on the page, not in real life. Yeah, right. I just like, <laughs> like Lovecraft's Country. Is that what it's called? That's It's a book. But it's also, I only found out about it for the HBO adaptation that's coming out later this week, I think. But I am dying to read this book. I just got Mexican Gothic, which my book club is doing. I joined a book club for the first time in my life um, so I can read a book. I think I've only read one book, one published book in the last month. It was I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. Um, that was about the hunt for the Golden State Killer. Um, who yes so that and i'm just like that was the only book that i've read within the last month so i'm trying to i'm assuming you're still reading submissions and things for oh yes of course course. i just meant in terms of like published books it's really um which is i do in my free time or even though it's technically research but it's a little bit harder because it just feels like hard to like wind down from being an agent voice but i um got some cool things on submissions i'm really excited to do that i'm getting caught up with my queries um and i just love that a lot of my colleagues have had such fun things to share um with their the work that they're working on and it's really inspiring and i'm like publishing is surviving i can survive too um i made my first deal during pandemic which i was was really surprising so it's a congratulations um karina um it's like a, it's a little meet cute um, about this guy who is doing his internship at a marketing company. Um, and I, I think it's, and he kind of gets 
involved with um, his boss at work, who's a woman. And I think it's, it sounds a little sketchy, right? Um, but I really like it because it really um, is in conversation with gender roles within um, the office, uh, the office or work environment and, um, you know, consent and um, kind of the conversation of um, power imbalances within relationships, uh, work or personal that I thought was like really, uh, really great to see. So super excited for it. <laughs> uh, we'll just talk a little bit just about the Donald Moss agency. Because mm -hmm. um, I want to give you a moment to uh, make the case for all the esteemed audience who's listening to all the back catalog with all the amazing other literary agent interviews available. My God, esteemed audience, how lucky are you to, to have found this podcast? Just a, a treasure trove of, of information. Um, but not necessarily because I feel like we've we more than made the case for you. Um, we, we've covered that at this point, but let's make the case for the Donald Moss uh, literary agent, aside for, from the fact that uh, a lot of writers have already been reading uh, his guides to writing and learning how to write directly oh to the man himself. Yeah. But what are the advantages of going with the Donald Moss literary agency over other agencies? No, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, I think we're really great. I think uh, as the agency, um, and just from witness, uh, just like working with my other colleagues, that we very much care about the writer and their work. Um, of course, that's a given, right? But I think that there can never be enough emphasis on um, preparing writers, not only with their craft, but the, um, not restraints, um, being ready for traditional publishing and kind of the the not obstacles or the way, just the way that it that it works. Um, so we're always about the project and making it the best that they can, the best that it can be, um, and that if you know that project isn't working, what's the next thing that you're working on? Because it's very true. At the end of the day, the only thing that writers have control of is their work. So focusing on kind of other things like, you know, your social media brand or um, getting, oh, this is going to sound, I know this is going to sound wild, the biggest offer um, from, a, from a publisher is just, it's just like that stuff you can't control. You can't control what, um, what a, a publishing house is going to offer you in terms of an advance. You can't control who's going to fall in love with it. You can't control who even gets to see your book once you go on submission or who's going to love it as a reader. Um, so I really value that at my agency, I have, it's been kind of passed down to me that at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, it's, it's the work that means the most. Um, and I think that just fosters a really kind of like holistic relationships with clients. Um, Cause it's just all about, um, I think it can't be under said that a relationship or working relationship with the agent is very personal because your writing is very personal to you. Um, and it's about like, you know, it's like maybe the first time that you're opening up with another person. So intimately with your work, um, and it's just such, it's such a new change. And I think um, I really like the way that I kind of have been shaped to respect that. 
Gotcha. So you, they're my I mean, 2016, you're uh, part park ranger, part intern now uh, with, <laughs> with Donald Mass. Um, so how does, I'm always hearing that this is a, uh, what's the word, a, yeah, an apprenticeship uh, industry where you want a literary agent that's been trained by quality literary agents, which obviously uh, abound at, at Donald Mass and, mm -hmm. and all of them are welcome on the podcast whenever they like. Um, <laughs> what what was that experience? How, 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 does, how do you go from a Padawan to a literary agent Jedi? Ah, uh, good question. Does anybody... <laughs> for me, I feel like I'm always growing and learning, which honestly, I think I, we were talking about this earlier, but I am never overconfident about what I'm capable of. And I think that makes me a great agent because <laughs> um, I'm just, you know, you never, I, um, when you're not, when you are open to asking questions and always learning, you are never blocking information. Right. Um, I never want to assume that I know too much. And I'm always, I tell my clients this all the time. If I don't know something, my boss will, and I'm always happy to go. I'm always happy to connect you with him. Like whenever we, I can explain something, you know, concisely <laughs> because words are hard. Um, so you I might I, potentially transfer me straight to the man, Donald Musk. <laughs> Yes. I would be like, uh, hold on speed dial. Once I figure out how speed dial works, um, we can get him <laughs> on the phone. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. So I have always, and some of my other, um, literary agents that I know it's agenting when you first start for at least the first five or 10 years, it's not your only income. Um, cause it's very much commission based. So I've always had at least one part-time jobs as usually two at most three, aside from being, um, uh, an intern or when I was starting agent as an agent. Um, and it's really great because it's not really great. Uh, I mean, it's not really great that I have a job. It's, it's, it's great in the sense that when I go into the office or, um, when we went into the office, it was really focused. So, um, I actually, with my internship was ran by Amy Boggs, um, when she was with us at the agency and we would do, you know, weekly calls going over, like, let's read a contract and, figure out what, go what goes on with that. Um, and let's talk about what, how to get to know editors and like, you know, how to get the best information to be like, okay, I know this person, I know their tastes, I know what kind of writers they're looking for. So I know when I sign this client, they might be good for them or not be good for them, might be good for somebody else. Um, really just like navigating that space of being an advocate for your client. Um, and then one of the most important things that I've learned recently is I've gotten to this stage. Um, my job is to give the client the information that I have about um, a deal offer, a publisher or an imprint and how they work and, you know, how they've been marketing stuff and letting the author and my client decide make the decision themselves. I am not here to push my client to take any deal or not take any deal. I'm just here to give the information in a way that's on that they understand so that they can make their decisions, you know, with, um, confidence. And, um, I think that was like one of the great things, uh, about, you know, I mean, I'm sure every agent does that. It's not specific to my agency, but, um, just as an apprentice, it's like, you know, being in the office, seeing, seeing these things go down and learning a lot about the history of publishing and things like that. They used to send, they used to have one copy, one paper copy of manuscripts that they would send 
<laughs> to editors and it just go if they if they were either the the first person said or it just it just went along to one single editor until they read it and either <laughs> offered on it or rejected it and it would just be one single copy for the whole submission <laughs> can you believe that <laughs> wild um so it's really cool kind of hearing stories my my boss has been in the industry for such a long time um that he's seen that's the most you know, maddening thing i've ever heard you'd have to worry <laughs> oh my god <laughs> imagine being like the sixth person in line it has like coffee stains on it, it has like you know writing all over the margins and you can't ask for a clean copy you might because a like, smoker had this last oh no <laughs> <laughs> cost of paper I don't know. um i hope they answered that question uh absolutely yeah okay i mean i mean i'm sure you've had so many insights we couldn't possibly hope to cover them all in the, the scope of a conversation but that certainly gives uh, us some and I'll, I'll tell you right now my mind will go blank <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like that thing where it's so interesting you know when you're talking about thing, it's it's so interesting like the stuff that's easy that that comes to mind and the stuff that you know but it's like buried deep in there and it's like only the right phrasing will activate the information it's like tomb raider with my uh, if it helps you, in my experience, it will haunt you about 2 a.m. tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah, you too? I'm so happy well, I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best time to think of things I should have said. And not necessarily the conversations today, conversations I had in high school. You could have done that better, kid. Always. Well, a lot of years ago. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that's part of what uh, what what drives me to write YA and what drives other people to write YA is I'm just saying the stuff I should have said at the time and now finally my characters are saying it. <laughs> it's What's like, um, yeah. Oh, I, mean, I was going to say, just you ask know, you about your writing. Oh, my writing as a person. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Um, I think this is also the thing that's been interesting to see or witness. Maybe not interesting is the right word. I was, I'm just like reframing the same words over and over in the same sentences. Um, but it's, I think it's really cool and intriguing to see that more agents are, have come out in the recent years with their own writing careers and their own writing history. Um, and I think it is something that writers should consider when considering agents who are also writers themselves. Um, I don't, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to frame this. Um, I, I, I don't think that agents have never been writers. And I think that agents and editors have themselves been writers in other capacities, maybe just other, under pseudonyms or some, or like, you know, um, ghost, not ghost writing names, but it pseudonyms uh, um in times when it was like kind of less socially acceptable so i think it's it's nice to see that agents and editors are you know uh publishing works under their own um names but you know it's very much a thing i can understand that writers are like if my agent's a writer too are they writing while they're agenting and i would say for me that's like no i have my work hours and then i have my personal life i would actually say that i have more work hours in a personal life so sorry to hear um, that i hope that, that starts right. to invert that's just it's so hard working in an industry that's like your passion because it's like i love like so for instance if i'm reading a submission it's like midnight i mean yeah i should go to sleep but i really love this thing um and it's like no one's telling me to work at midnight you know but then it's like three days later and you're like i really should not have stayed up till midnight um <laughs> to read this i could have waited i could have gotten some good sleep um 
but oh, sorry, I mentioned my own writing. I, I feel like um, the last few years, I'm really, I've been focusing on building my list and being um, intentional clients. So I have been working more um, specifically as an agent um, to accomplish that. And my writing has kind of been sat at the side. Um, I will be publishing in an anthology called um, All Signs Points Yes. Um, that will be coming out spring 2022, I believe. Um, that's, I thought uh, it's really fun. It's like a, sh a short uh, thing. It's about, um, it's all love stories based on the Zodiac, which is hilarious um, because if you're a queer person or just people in general, but queer people are really into astrology um, and the type is like, oh yeah, you did this thing because you're an Aquarius. And I'm like, okay, whatever you say. Um, but recently I've made a lot of friends in the last year who are like really into astrology. So it's really funny that I was asked to be in this anthology um, when I was still pretty skeptical, still very skeptical um, about astrology. Um, and I think it's also really important um, for me now to inform writers who I'm offering representation in that I also want to I'm trying to become a writer in television as well, because that would actually consist of a full-time job um, in many respects. It's personally, it's not like I've, I've always, like I said, had at least two, probably three other jobs besides aging ting. Um, so it's not unfamiliar to me, but I do know that I just think transparency is really nice. Um, and a writer might not want to work with another writer. They might know, like, you know, I don't like writers. I don't want to date writers. I don't want to be around them. I want to be around someone completely different. You know, why so many people in publishing are married to IT folks? I wonder why. Maybe because our brains work different. Um, but in, in a married sense, to an IT person. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I just, I just uh, think that that's information like I want to give and I can't front a writer for not working with me uh, because I'm a writer myself. I don't know if that's, that's, I don't think that's the question that you asked, but I'd say right, that's important. To my out. question so far away, I don't even remember what it was, but I, <laughs> I think that could also be a nice advantage that because you're a writer, you would yes. presumably there'd be some overlap of emotion. You felt some of these things I'm going through. Um, I, I would say, I mean, I think a lot of agents, whether they're a writer or not, are connected with their client's work. But for me as a writer, I think I understand more about like the sensitivity that comes with really loving this thing and not wanting to be told that it's not working. Or So I kind of understand a little bit more about like the emotional ties that we get, we have to our work and like how to, how to navigate that. And um, I, I just love a good geek out, you know with my clients about their work. It's so funny. One of my clients had this character that I just did not like um, from the first uh, <laughs> draft that I read of it. Um, and I signed her on this book too. So, but I was like, I really don't like this. I don't know what, like this character or why is he in here? And I swear every single time <laughs> she was sending a revision, I'd be like, we still have him? Like what's, what's going on? And then now a year, like, so long into our partnership i'm like i really love this kid and i think that's really great because me as a writer could see the value of him to an audience and to the story so like sure. even if so and sometimes i think it's like when you give notes and stuff it's like navigating it okay this doesn't work it's not always helpful to be like this doesn't work without saying why and then because the note isn't that oh this doesn't work because he likes strawberry ice cream the, the the note does it's like this doesn't work because how 
the strawberry ice cream functions in the plot. This, that was a terrible example. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I but, know what she meant, though. <laughs> but there's sometimes it's like, but I'm not going to, it's just like the thing where it's like, okay, or like she killed a character that I really loved. Um, but as a writer, I really understood that it really made the book really good. once in a while the death of a beloved character is the most exciting thing that can possibly happen i bring it up as much as possible like i'm in pain and nobody will understand uh until you know further news that we can announce in the future but i hope other people feel this way about this character that i adore (laughs) Well, I've got this uh, habit, and I feel like we've been talking a little bit about uh, diversity in publishing here okay. and there, and certainly what you're doing specifically. Um, but obviously, the industry as a whole, which I now demand that you answer for, no. Um, but the industry as a whole uh, does not have the best track record with uh, diversity in publishing. I don't think I'm. Uh, I don't think I'm. Uh, revealing or spilling any tea <laughs> as I say that. I think that's pretty established. Uh, obviously the world as I like to think optimistically kind of sort of inching in the right direction at least in terms of diversity in our stories. We're nowhere near where we need to be but we're, we're, we're closer. We didn't have a Black Panther movie uh, 20 years ago. It's, we're, I, we're spent, I must have spent $200 seeing that movie in theaters like i watched it so many i i prop okay i probably saw it i don't know how to count i don't know if it actually added up to 200 dollars. like probably eight times eight to ten times in theaters and i also saw thor ragnarok probably just as much if not a little less those were like the best movie the best marvel movies of the franchise i feel for me that's just my opinion they're just i love both of those movies and, you know, they're both directed by men of color, so. That's, I mean, you know. <laughs> a little different vibe up in there. <laughs> um, so all that preamble to say, what are you seeing publishing doing right? And what does publishing still need to do uh, to continue to improve? Well, I will say from I really enjoy and am incentivized and energized by how many young, and I don't necessarily mean an age, but it has correlated with age, but newer editors and agents who are people of color, who are vocal about the types of books that they want to get published and the types that they think are a little bit like, you know, we've dated. Um, it's the 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 thing is like we're not going to have more diverse books in terms of inclusivity of different races and sexualities and identities and backgrounds unless publishing uh professionals themselves reflect that cuz you know you can have all of these writers come up all day but if 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 Jerry who grew up in Pennsylvania in 19 19- 70 is looking at this thing he's only going to see it from that lens right um it's you know you hear this all the time it's like i i i don't connect with a story and it's like i think that's a line i mean in general i don't feel too much emotional connection with that because i think it's just one of the ways that uh we are able to 
codify that feeling of not connecting with a book. But I also understand that it could just be like, oh, me from my position and my background can't understand the validity of your story from your perspective and your background. Um, so I feel, but I feel like this is kind of being slowly overturned in the fact that more people of color are being hired in editing positions and in marketing positions, not nearly um, enough, but in numbers that I feel like we will be seeing greater change in the next coming of years. And we've already seen it, you know, um, this many books by people of color were not published in 2013. I think when we need a diverse book started, I, is that the year? Um, and that was such a great initiative that got publishing in, uh, professionals together um, in order to organize in an effective way. Um, but every year I see more and more books that wouldn't have been published in 2011 being published today. You know, uh, is it this earlier this year, a book um, with the first non-binary character written by a non-binary author was published. That just happened this year. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, well, better late than never, I guess. But come on, publishing. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it, it's so interesting to me. Um, but then again, it's just because, you know, so for me, as a, as a queer, black, um, you know, biracial woman, um, I want to see stories that have, you know, people, and this is very individual, I'm not saying other people don't want to see this, but I want to see stories that reflect the people that I know, I want to that reflect me and people that I know that I've grown up with. And for that very basis, I look for stories like that. If you kind of, in the, you have to think of it that other editors are also from that thing. They're like, oh, I, I grew up in a maze. I really want stories about mazes, like that really bring that to life. And it's like, okay, but now it's like, you have to understand that the world is bigger than that maze. And you have to realize <laughs> that you can't compare everything to that maze. I hope that. So anyway, um, it's I just- a very apt metaphor. I like it. Yes. <laughs> um, it's slow work. It's uh, hard work. Uh, I, I saw this quote yesterday. I think I retweeted it. It's just like um, a lot of people um, have never known what it's like to infiltrate a hostile work environment, um, a hostile environment to make it better or something like that. And that's kind of publishing. I'm not, it's just the fact that it might seem that nothing is happening behind the scenes, but there are you know, diversity initiatives in terms of, um, you know, editorial boards coming out and saying, we need to know more. We need to, what do we need to work on? Stuff like that. So that has been happening. Um, even if, you know, couriers are not privy to that information just from like Twitter or just general sense of the industry, it is happening. And these conversations are happening. I want them to have it happening more, but publishing is a freaking dinosaur. You know, you okay. gotta, you gotta take the knocks and keep going. Well, publishing gets together tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> and they say, uh, Kiki, we've been listening to the middle grade ninja podcast as we do each and every week, because I imagine all the publishing stops every time a new episode drops. That makes sense. Um, and they say, after listening to you, we've decided you clearly should be in charge of all the publishing. You have all the power in the world. How do we make publishing better? 
be gay, do crime. I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that's, you're really smart because you put your podcast out on summer Fridays when everybody has the time to listen to podcasts. Um, I, honestly, that's like, that's what it is. I just, um, it's just, I, it's just like everything that I watch and that I read, I'm like, this would be so much better if it was queer or if it was black or if it had more perspectives than just, you know, the one that we are used to and the one that we've seen. And I, I really, I'm just like, it, it, it is that simple. It's literally that simple. Just publish these stories, give them your money. Um, but, you know, I guess I can't, I don't have like the pipeline to the CEO of like, everything to be like sometimes I just feel like a lot of real people in those positions are really removed from the day-to-day operations and like they're kind of like in their own little rich bubble of richness that's <laughs> um. no, a fair that's always that's been the long one of the long running pub, uh, problems with publishing is so much of it is internship based which means you have to be able to live in Manhattan and work a job for which you do not receive money. Well, look, that kind of self-selects. Honestly, I did. So I, like I said, I'm from New York. Um, I'm from upstate New York, but my dad's family lives in Brooklyn. So I've always been, and I mean, yeah, I did move out to the city on my own after I left college, but that was because my family was there and I had, I didn't do anything on my own is basically what I'm trying to get. So I couldn't imagine. Um, I have other friends who, had like difficult times uh it took many years to get um into the internship and even though like i mean every it just sucks it's like kind of like a um again you have to be available to jump right in right away and be able to like subsist on like uh i was on food stamps all right i was on food stamps for like a few years uh working my little part-time jobs and uh, the park ranger and a literary agent like you said you had one other job at the time oh yeah so i also was working a concessions at this uh theater it was like a that was run by the the catholic diocese of new york um okay i don't know i don't know how dioceses work but that's that was the theater um that i was working at um i also worked um i did catering for a little while i served um is it tapas? I served hors d'oeuvres door, uh, to Christina Ritchie. That was cool. Wow. Um, yeah. I just I watched served... Sleepy Hollow two nights ago. Oh my God. I love Sleepy Hollow. I, I've forgotten, like, there's like literally seven characters in the scene by fainting in that movie. I'd forgotten. <laughs> yes. I stood next to um, Martha Stewart and thought she was Hillary Clinton. So that was fun. <laughs> really, I've done some really interesting in, in, interesting jobs. Um, but it's just like, oh, darn. I mean, the hustle is not for everyone, and it shouldn't be for everyone, you know? Um, you should be able to maintain a decent life in an entry-level position or, like, internship. But, you know, maybe everyone should read The Devil Wears Prada again and really sink that story in you know we shouldn't be slaves to the industry um... okay that was (laughs) anti-capitalist speech for the day (laughs)
I was just thinking that somewhere there's a, a senator or a congressman planning to make a speech about three jobs and working as hard as she possibly can. Isn't that the spirit, the, the noble really? American? Yeah. No, okay. If that's true, you would be working, you'd be working for much less. That's the thing that kills me. Like you're a public servant, but you're getting, you're living above everybody else that you're, your constituents. Like, how does that make sense? I want to know, but I'm not, look, I don't, well, I'm not, I don't know anything about politics or the hell it works so i look i'm uninformed i can get you in charge of all the publishing you have to go on a different podcast yeah. to be in charge of politics i wouldn't so, and but then i just want to be clear that i couldn't be part of the organization but i will be the mouthpiece i'll be the spokesperson <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to be involved with any of the how things are run or what people come up with um uh, that just seems like a lot of pressure right now I just like to be the, this is a good, do yeah. better person. I want to be the Scooby or the Shaggy <laughs> of the group, not the Freddy or the Daphne. So I'm, I'm going to end with this last question, but thank you so much for what yeah, has been just an absolutely enjoyable conversation. It's going to be a highlight of the, uh, of the podcast. Yeah. I hope that, you know, the, uh, the, 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 that the esteemed audience has found viable nuggets of useful information uh, in, in my rambling. And if you have, I honestly, like, uh, I commend you for parsing that out. Um, and I'm sorry that I made it so hard. <laughs> I think there's been but all I kinds of you brilliant <laughs> nuggets that uh, have been available. Plus, they're all going to go replay uh, The Last of Us 2 now, because we've given yeah. them a lot to think about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's what I want to do. Uh, my brand is Emotional Trauma in a Funny Package. <laughs> my uh, last question is always some variation uh for okay. all the authors who are listening uh if you could give them one or five or 20 pieces of advice whatever you think would be most crucial for them to hear and would make a significant difference between the folks that are going to continue to get rejected and the folks that might be able to at least send you a full um what advice would you give all those all those authors the same this is my number one advice that i give out um, to everyone, even the guy at the deli that I ran into that was working on a poem. Character first. And I, when I say that, it's just that publishing, sometimes I see um, projects from people that would have been easily published in 1970s and, but it cannot withstand in the 2020 market. And I think that we have classics, right, um, within all categories and genres of publishing for the sake of, like, you know, their impact on us as readers and on, on books. Um, but, some, but times change, um, and so do the, the growing audience. A lot of publishers you could say maybe not a lot of publishers i don't want to frame it like that but i would say that a goal for a, a goal that a writer can have in mind is yeah yeah is my book not only pleasing to fans of the genre in this category but to someone that will just who is a is a general reader and pick up this book um and would they be intrigued? And I think that's not really as much about the story or the plot as much as it is about character, giving us a character that we can relate to and that we can connect to. This doesn't mean that they have to be likable necessarily. Then again, I'm a big fan of Hannibal. He's a cannibal. Uh, 
<laughs> but um, and that's just, that just just means, and I, I, my biggest words of advice is always getting more emotional in our life in the page. Um, this is a phrase that I learned from my boss, Don. I mean, I'm sure it's a phrase that everybody uses, but like, I think I learned this like in the emotional craft of fiction, it's one of his craft books. And it just helped me really phrase this note. Um, sometimes it's just like, I'm reading a page and okay, they're starting out with the character, they're starting out with like a dialogue the character said, like, you know, oh, I hate fish sandwiches. And that's like the first line that you see, but it's just like, if I'm open, I'm going to the page. I don't know who's saying this. I don't know why it's important. I don't know why it matters. I, if it's the main character, like, I guess I could assume that they just really hate fish sandwiches and it's super important. Um, but it just, it just brings way more questions than answers versus like, if you started that instead of a dialogue, it could be something like, um, the smell of fish sandwiches always reminded me of the day my mother left and then right away you know this is the main character speaking to us with the eye or it doesn't have to be an eye it could be general third person but basically you know right away that this person hates fish sandwiches but they hate it specifically because their mother left them and they always it's it just right away you get like a lot of emotional things um i don't think you always have to start on an emotional line but always frame the first couple of sentences with your character in mind. If we're in a fantasy realm, of course, you want to get some world building in there. Maybe we are in an arena. Um, that for, instead of being like, you know, the arena was empty, it could be like Sapphire never felt more on alive than in an empty arena before a match. And then, okay, we know that we are in a world where there's an arena, there's some kind of fighting, but most importantly, we get the character and what drives them. We don't know what their stakes are yet. We don't know what the obstacles are yet, but it's like, okay, I kind of get a sense of who this character is and I want to follow to the next line. Um, sometimes I'll read something and it's like six paragraphs detailing um, like the setting or equipment that the person is using and i'm like i i know six sentences about how the submarine is built and what the parts are but i don't know who's in the submarine or why we are why we care that we're in a submarine um the same way that like um i know that you get this this um the the recommendation to start on action and i don't and so i read a lot of stuff of characters running away from things like immediately it's like the first thought is like, um, you, my, my, my ribs crack as I run. That's a very, these are also very bad sentences, guys. Like, I'm not telling you how you do it right. Um, it's like my ribs crack as I, as I run and trying to get away from the person behind me. And it's like, you're not even telling us who they're running away from. And now it's like, oh crap. And now I have to be prepared to follow this character that I don't even care why they're running, who they're running from, why they need to get away, why they need to survive. It's, it's, so again, it's like all about emotional inner life. And then, okay, to explain emotional inner life, because I think that's a little bit confusing, I'll just end on saying that it's really, to me, it's verbalizing how what the character is feeling and thinking shapes how they are observing and interacting with the world and the people around them. So that's less, oh, um, 
my name is Maggie and I'm walking to the store um, to get eggs. I hate eggs, but we are, we need them for breakfast and more like, um, it, it never felt colder than when dad made me go to the store to get his precious eggs when I could be playing Nintendo 64, right? There's period piece. I like it. (laughs) It's not the best (laughs) sentence, but you know, you're getting the point across that they're doing this thing, but we get why they, why the, whether they like it or not, but what's it's connected to in relationships. I hope that is a little bit helpful in terms of explaining that um, for the audience. <laughs> so most anything that comes into story, we want to know why it's relevant to the yes, character. Because, yes, because like, you know, every stories, like, like, let's be upfront, y'all. No story is original. Um, and it, but what makes it unique is the characters that you build and the specifics of why they are going on the journey or the arc and why we care about whether they succeed with what they want um you know it's the same way that again you look at batman versus superman well they are superheroes right they save their cities but they are two very different men with two very different personalities and different ways of approaching the world and the people around them You know, Batman is super gloomy, whiny. What was me? My parents were killed. And um, I'm. This interview is over. Have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's just like really dark and depressing. And Superman is like, yeah, you know, well, I guess he didn't know that he was his, like his parents aren't his real parents. But he has a kind of like a little bit more optimistic side of things. You know, he's always looking for kind of like the 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 good and humanity people or a batman's like always ready to to you know see the bad and batman's defense i love that don't no i love <laughs> batman uh don't get me wrong i'm into it like i said gloomy dark i love that he's broody no i'm just saying if you were somebody that could literally not be hurt i mean emotionally but otherwise not be hurt by other humans your whole life hey you can afford to be a little more, more yeah, optimistic right. yes <laughs> i mean i've never had to witness my parents being murdered um so i really don't know what that would be like i'm told it creates personality divergence yeah i'm, I'm told it, it it really makes connecting with other people pretty hard <laughs> <laughs> Unless their mother's name also happens to be Martha, and you learn it at a very crucial moment. <laughs> but I think, yeah, just thinking about it like that, those are two very superhero stories in general are always about someone trying to save a world, but they have very specific tools and ways of doing it. And that's why that we makes care 100% about sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I- where can esteemed audience find you online, stalk you on Twitter, all that good stuff? Um, so you can find my profile online at mossagency.com. That is Moss, M-A-A-S-S. Um, you can, that's where you can find a little bit of my wish list. It also has a link to my manuscript wishlist profile, which goes a little bit more in detail. Um, that comps like, you know, t- books that I loved, books that I'm in more detail about, like kind of books that I'm looking for. You can find me on Twitter at Kiana New. So that is K-I-A-N-A. N-G-U. Keep in mind, it is not always family friendly on there. 
in terms of language and subject. Uh, and I uh, kind of probably go more on rants about how, you know, Dark Terminator, uh, uh, Terminator Dark Fate should have been made rather than, you know, my uh, ruminations on publishing, but you get that too. <laughs> that trailer for uh, Terminator Dark Fate had the best cover of a Bjork song I've ever heard. But, oh my God. I, well, I immediately put it to my Spotify playlist. I'm writing all my action scenes to this from now on. <laughs> I, the, I, I, the takeaway from that movie, and I hope this is appropriate and tell me if it's not and feel free to cut it out. But the director, the man, the male director of that movie wanted to make just a not sexy action movie starring women. And it ended up being way sexier than any other male-led action movie that I have ever seen without having any kind of romantic subplot or like um, traditional uh, 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 manipulation of like women in that type of story. So I just think that's very interesting and how it, underneath another person's guide, maybe a woman um, or a queer person, we could have had a very different film. I just think it's interesting that uh, someone intended to make one movie and decidedly made another movie, but it's a great film. And so is The Old Guard on Netflix. Now, if I were to tell you that uh, Tim Miller director of the film was over the age of 50 and white, would that, would that explain some things about maybe some of those choices? I'll just say, <laughs> I am not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. So. Terminator Dark Fate is available now. <laughs> um, sponsored by me. <laughs> no, I think, I've, I think I've lost any chance of Terminator sponsorship for the show. <laughs> That's it. Uh, we can probably no, get some last of us money, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just send us a beta for part three. You know you're going to make it. <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, don't hold out on us. Like, it's It's obvious. It's obvious. <laughs> Um, as always, esteemed audience, uh, make sure you go to middlegradeninja.com, read written interviews with Amy Boggs and Holly Root, among other agents mentioned <laughs> on the show, uh, and hundreds of others of authors, publishing professionals, folks you would find interesting, the back catalog of this show. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Beast, obviously the only original novel ever written. Uh, and uh, as always, God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Thank you.